Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. Today, I have a guest that has owned two practices, multi-practice owner, and we're talking about just like controlling what you can control and specifically a little bit about talking about how do we control supplies because that's something we can control as a business owner, but just sharing some lessons learned over opening two startups and running two startups and managing and all that fun stuff. It's a great interview. I know you're going to love it. Let's get to it. The Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. Business, communication, leadership, practice, and life success. It all starts with a hero. It all starts with you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes Podcast, where we believe that armed with knowledge and intentionality, anyone can become the hero that their practice needs and deserves. I'd like to welcome my guest, a 2013 graduate of Indiana University, owner of two startup practices in the Denver area, and CEO of Ordo, a dental supply and inventory management software for dental offices. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Eric Appleseas. What's up, Eric? Hey, thanks for having me on, Paul. How's it going? Dude, going well, man. It's a good day. I'm actually going to, I'm flying out into Huntsville tomorrow to bring my daughter to space camp. She she wants to do that. She wants to go see the Helen Keller birthplace. I don't know why, but that's like, I'm taking her anywhere where she wants. And she's like, that's where I want to go. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm doing that this weekend. So like after we get off, I'm getting ready to pack and stuff. But yeah, it's good, man. Before we get into it, give the listeners just like a brief history from like dental school into practice ownership. How did that work for you? Like you had alluded to earlier, I graduated from Indiana University School of Dentistry 2013. Then right after that, I ended up going into the Navy. So I did one of the HPSP scholarships, right? So went to Newport, Rhode Island for five weeks, got trained on how to be a Navy officer, and then got stationed over in Camp Pendleton. So I was actually on a Marine base, took care of Marines for about four years, just making sure mainly they were just ready to be deployable, right? So In military terms, we had everyone in classes, right? It was class one, two, three, and four. If you were class one and two, you could be deployed. If you were class three or four, it meant we had to knock you down to class one or two to make you deployable. And that was either like you got partially impacted thirds, you got a huge cavity, you haven't been in an exam for two years. So that was pretty much day-to-day what we were doing, coming into the clinic, seeing a bunch of Marines, making sure they were good, taking care of them, and did that until about 2017, And then my wife, who's also a dentist too, we met in dental school. We moved to Denver, South Metro area, did a startup practice right after that in Littleton. And then about two years later, did a second startup in Thornton and have been pretty much just growing those ever since. Now, what made you decide on startups as opposed to like doing acquisitions? Like, do you have a preference towards startups? So a little bit more background on that. So when we were in California, my wife actually purchased a practice while I was in the military. And that practice was an old dentist, maybe doing 350000 a year in collections, not good systems, nothing really going on. We were like, hey, maybe that's a good practice for us just to start on. Lots of challenges for sure with buying a practice that doesn't have systems in it and just staff that's been there forever and people are just used to a certain way. But anyways, she was able to kind of double the production in that and we did sell that all. We kind of fixed and flipped it in about a year and a half, sold that. So that was our intro to like acquisition, right? And we learned pretty soon after that, we wanted to maybe try the different round of a de novo. So we went to some CE courses that were big on how to do a startup. And when we kind of saw those, we liked the idea of being able to 
do everything from scratch, have new equipment, do things the way we wanted, design things the way we wanted to. That kind of is what made our decision to go the de novo route in Denver. I did a startup and I always think about if I was to do another one, I would do a few things differently. I'm just curious, you doing one in 2017 and then turning around, I think, in 2019 and doing another. What did you do differently? Did you do anything differently in that second startup versus the first one? I mean, there wasn't a ton of time in between them. It was about a year and a half. We set them up so they looked very similar. I'm trying to think of most of the changes we made on it was like little minor design tweaks, right? Like I didn't have a consult room set up in the first office, right? And in the second one, we made a little bit nicer of a consult room, right? Just to be able to present bigger cases to patients, right? So that was one tweak that we did. I guess other tweak was kind of just like workflow on where we kept when patients checked in, how all that kind of stuff looked, but we kept the operatories exactly the same. And that was just because we did them, like a lot of us know, like breakaway style kind of, right? The ops like that. So we like those. And a lot of the organization and design we got from there. So we just kind of replicated it because it was easier. But I would say those were kind of the two main things. So a little bit, but not a ton. Okay. So like, no, like some like hard lessons learned or anything like that, that you turned around and then you're like, okay, we got to do this differently in the second one. I learned a lot of other hard lessons on there for sure. They were so close. By the time one opened, we already had the other one like being designed. It was just from ground up. So we kind of had to make those decisions before we even had a chance to know everything that was wrong with the first office, right? It was like six months in to the first office when we were already designing the second one, right? So like, I wish I would have had more time probably in between that would have been bad to know that, but I just didn't. What does it look like as far as like staffing the doctors? Is that says like one of these practices yours and one is your wives or like, how does that work? Do you guys have associate doctors? So when we first started, she was the main provider at the first office. And then I was the main provider at the second office. Since then, like if you fast forward to today, I have an associate with me at the second location or the newer one. And then at the first location, it's mainly an associate dentist that's there. We have two little kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So it's been nice for this last year. My wife hasn't had to go back and practice clinically. So we have one associate at one office, two at the other. Well, one associate at the other, including me. So two providers. So talk about like what has made these offices successful for you. Like if you had to put your finger on something or something so the listeners can get a little nugget of wisdom there that you've learned over the years. For me, it was probably a hard lesson to learn was understanding the importance of having systems. So like between my wife and I, she is definitely the more organized of us, right? And I'm more of like, maybe like the fun one who just comes in, right? And just hangs out with everyone and is everyone's friend and everything like that. And so a good lesson I learned was when she left, when we had our first kid, right? And wasn't practicing, like I had to take the role of kind of the leader and the person who organizes systems. And I learned a really hard lesson there that if you don't follow those systems, you don't believe in them, you don't do them, the staff doesn't believe in it, and it causes issues. So I think what made the practices successful in the first part was honestly, it was mainly due to my wife that she had these systems in place that everyone was following. I learned a hard lesson that I also needed to do that because I probably didn't value the importance of it. And then once we started implementing, once we started actually doing those and they saw me doing those, I saw the practices grow more and more and more and more. And so we've just been on a good steady growth. Now, what would you say like system wise, like a good place to start would be like now you, you mentioned your wife had some systems and you came in and you're like, realize that, okay, we need some stuff. Where particularly did you go? 
the one main thing is I think just having systems that rely on accountability, right? We're big on doing checklists, right? And having roles for each, there's tasks that need to be done in the office and we would print and laminate checklists, right? For front back office. And it had all the different things they needed to do, right? As little as, I don't know, for example, if we went to in the back office, let's say it was sterilization, right? There's one person who's in charge of sterilization, right? They have to make sure things are sterilized. Then other people can help out, right? Make sure instruments are good, all that stuff. But we had accountability by making sure that even if they weren't necessarily systems, people were checking off the checklist, making sure things were done. So we knew that things were done. We didn't have to stress about it. I mean, other systems that have been really important in the office too are probably collecting payments. And when we do that has been a huge system that's been super helpful for us. So we learned pretty early on, we were seeing a lot of like no shows, right? Like from when we schedule treatment to them not showing up for the appointment, right? We had talked to a couple consultants, people like that, and they had all said, hey, why don't you pre-collect something before, right? Because then it ties the patient to the appointment. So one system that has helped us a lot with reducing no-shows is making sure when they come in either for their recall or their new patient exam, that they talk to the front on their way out and some type of financial arrangement is made. And it's definitely decrease the amount of no-shows or like late-minute cancellations that we have. So that's one. Now, are you pre-collecting on everything to schedule or like how does that work? Are you looking to collect the whole copay? Like what are you doing? So we don't collect, if it's like a new patient or recall, right? And we think insurance is going to cover most of those issues. We're not like asking to pre-collect for them to like schedule as a new patient or anything. But when it comes to treatment, we give patients a couple options. We either tell them, hey, a lot of our patients like to just pay for everything up front. That way they don't have to worry about it on the back end, make it easier, right? Because that's obviously for us, that's the best way to do it, right, too. It's the cleanest and easiest and we get money up front. And then for some patients, though, depending on if finances are a barrier or anything like that, then we'll usually at least do like a 30% deposit down to like reserve the appointment. So those are usually the two main options we give them. And if, if they're not ready at that point, then we put them in our system and we ask them when we can follow up with them. And A lot of times, even if we don't get that yes at first because of that, we have good systems to follow up and they eventually say yes. Now talk about, I think, a lot of docs listening. In my experience with my coaching clients, there's a lot of resistance to doing this type of collecting and it's something that we do the same thing in my office. And I always tell people the patients are totally cool with this. They have no problem with it. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, I think the thing is just to like, don't put it on a pedestal, right? Like if you don't make it a big deal and you teach your staff to not make it seem like it's a big deal, then it doesn't become a big deal. But if our energy towards it is like nervousness, then the patient feels that, right? Like if I have my treatment coordinator and she's confident and she knows what she's saying and she's doing it, there have been no issues with patients getting like super pissed off or anything like that. Some people may say, hey, my other dentist didn't do this. And then you just train or coach your treatment coordinator how to respond and just say, this is how we do it here at this office. And that's the way we do it. You don't have to like give a paragraph answer on it. Right. And I think sometimes we think that we have to over explain ourselves. And I think if you just say what it is, it's yeah, I agree with you, Paul. It hasn't been an issue. It's funny. It's just like for some people, it just feels so wrong. Like this is the wrong way to do it. We're taking advantage of people. And I, it's the same thing. Like the only thing that's going to get in your way of doing that system is going to be you convincing your team that this is not a big deal. What a difference in no shows, right? 
Yeah. If you have an office too that's built and say you have a bonus structure in place and some of that's built on production, right? Like I think that's a pretty easy sell to tell your team, hey, everyone can do better. You can make more. The more we can produce and see more patients. Well, one way we can do that is by reducing no-shows and having this crown just not show up, right? Like that hurts the office. So let's pre-collect. It will reduce the no-shows and it helps everyone. I love that you tie in everything into the bonus together. Like what does your bonus structure look like at your office? It's pretty basic. It's just based on production goals for the week. And then if we hit the goal, depending in different tiers, it goes into like a small, medium or a large right bonus. And then we just have some stipulations that the team has to be at work on time, do their job. And if everyone does that, then you're eligible for it. But it's a pretty simple one. Honestly, bonus systems have been one where I've probably tried 10 different systems and Honestly, I don't think I've ever found a perfect one. I don't think there is a perfect one. I think there's a lot of challenges with bonus systems. There's some days where I'm like, screw this. I'm not doing a bonus system anymore. And then other days you're like, oh, this is working. And I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that, Paul. I go back and forth. I loved it when I had a smaller office. For me, our bonus now as a larger office feels more like a profit share and an afterthought. I don't think it motivates anyone to do anything. It's more just like, okay, when we have a good month, we're going to take good care of everybody. You're right. There's so many different ways to do it. It's always nice to tie it to certain things that we want to see. And I think that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we just had a monthly bonus where people got some of the full-time people ended up getting like something like $2,000. Like it was a huge one. Some people didn't show up to the monthly meeting and I was like, oh, well that was part of the bonus. And I actually felt guilty. I actually, well, I, I gave some of those people half there. I didn't take it all away. I felt so bad about it. But that's a rule. You know, I'm like, I've come to our monthly meeting. We're shutting down the office here. So you get tied to things like that. So that was my reason for saying that. Now, talk about your end of the day huddles and what does that look like? Great question on that. So this is one thing that we've done about a year ago that we implemented and I love it. So I was finding myself every day. I drive home from work and the same thoughts would go through my head. Oh crap, did we make sure to get this patient scheduled, right? Oh, did they, did we collect, right? Oh man, this one patient maybe didn't have that great of experience. Did we make sure to turn off their reviews? I found myself always driving home asking those questions and then wouldn't be able to sleep well at night, come into work the next day. And then the staff would ask me questions about stuff. And it was just this cycle of me like always being stressed about it. And I was like, well, there's gotta be a better way to like just leave work at work, right? And go home and be able to move on. So in addition to doing a morning huddle, we started doing an end-of-day huddle. And that's just where at the end of the day, take say five to 10 minutes, we just go through the patients and we just make sure that did the hygienist schedule their recall, right? Did they put the right things on the next appointment? If we needed to collect anything, did we collect anything, right? Like I said earlier, if someone had a great experience, great. Let's make sure we ask them for a review. If they didn't have a good experience, let's make sure we turn them off, right? Just kind of all those things. And that has helped so much, not even me, but my whole team came up to me like a month or so after we did it. And they were thankful that we were doing this because they're like, wow, this is way better. I can just go home and I don't think about stuff. And it's so much better to catch stuff on the front end then try to sleep on it, wake up, and then try to remember it. I don't know about you, but like I can't remember stuff the next day, right? Like you got a whole new set of problems and then you don't remember what's going on. So yeah, we love doing it. Absolutely. So talk about cost control. Like, I mean, we're in an environment where everything's kind of getting more expensive. What have you adapted and what are you doing differently to kind of keep your costs in line? That's been one of our biggest challenges. I think everyone's, right? I think the challenge we have in dental is a lot of costs are going up, right? Whether, I don't know, my 
rent goes up and up and up every month, right? Even if it's supposed to be fixed, it never goes down, right? In terms of staff costs, right? I think that's our biggest expense. And there's always everyone, when they see inflation, then they want a raise too, right? And then now to be competitive as private practices, a lot of us are offering healthcare benefits, 401k plans, all that kind of stuff. So those costs are going up. And then the problem is a lot of us take PPOs. I do as well, right? I take PPOs and I'm fee for, you know, cash and PPO. And those reimbursements don't go up by like five or 10% every year, right? I mean, we all know that is a huge struggle for all of us. So I think trying to control the cost we can are really important. So that next line item under staff cost rent, to me, that's a bigger expense that can be, you know, anywhere five to 7% is supplies, right? We really try to work on that. And that's kind of like segueing into it a little bit, the whole idea of how Ordo and how I thought of coming up with that idea came about. We'll talk about what it is. Yeah. It's a supply and inventory management software that I created mainly with my wife and then a few other partners that we have too that are all in the dental space. So the whole story on how that happened was it all started like really like during COVID. So like all of us got closed down for a certain amount of time. Colorado, it was six weeks. I had to furlough my employees. We took our phone from our office and we're just answering calls at our house, right? So we were only seeing emergency patients, had tons of downtime. And we said, all right, now's a great time just to like, look at our systems, right? And kind of check everything, see what we need to do. We also had to do a lot of the work, right? Because everyone was furloughed. So I started finding myself while I was looking at systems, one of them came up was ordering. And I was like, well, no one's here to order. So I need to order now. And my wife was like, yeah, we need to order. So we tried ordering gloves, right? Or masks and finding all that stuff that no one could find. I mean, I remember times I'd have 10 tabs open. I'd have Shine, Darby, some random vendor that I've never heard of, right? All across the screen saying, how do I find this KN95 or this level three mask? Or how do I find this glove that I need? And out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. And it was kind of all over the place. And I was like, there's got to be a better way for me to like take all of this stuff and just organize it into one spot. It'll save me so much time. So that was kind of where like the idea first was born. I had done research after I thought about that. There's other companies out there that do something similar, but there wasn't a solution that I really liked. So I was like, let's do it then, right? So that's kind of where the idea came from, was from that. And so at first it was just mainly a way for us to take all those different sites, conglomerate it all into one spot. So then you only have to log in one area, just have like an all-in-one platform to do all of that. And then since then, it's expanded out into a ton of other features as well. But that was the initial reasoning for why we came up with it. Ever since we started using Relevance Online Marketing, I could see a drastic improvement in our SEO. I mean, we are ranking so much higher when searching for dentists in our hometown. We are seeing more new patients and certainly someone you should give a, give a look at if you're considering new marketing companies. Just absolutely awesome. I would recommend Relevance to any practice owner who wants to see what proper marketing can do for their office. I want to thank Dr. Paul Etchinson for introducing me to Relevance Marketing. They've done a great job, very thorough. I'm happy with the results. Thank you guys for all of your help. We never truly realized how powerful this could be. It's really changed our business for the best. 
I think they're definitely worth every penny. Easy to communicate with, easily accessible, does what I ask, and even shows me some reports when things are going a little bit off track and what they're doing about it. You know, it's just a level of service I just haven't really received from other marketing agencies. Since we've been using Relevance, we've seen a tremendous growth in our business. I would recommend their services to just about anybody. Search engine optimization uh, and getting your ranking on Google to be the highest it can possibly be. The efforts uh, by Relevance and their team and the efforts and the things that they've done with the, uh, the SEO as well as the social media. Highly recommend it. So what are you waiting for? This is Dr. Paul Etchison telling you to get a free consultation with Relevance. As a listener of the podcast, you get the first month free and there is zero obligation to continue if you aren't blown away. Make this the year you grow your practice to the next level. Go to RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com to set up a free consultation. That's RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com. So essentially what I hear you saying is like you search for what you want to order and it'll show you the different prices from the different vendors. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. So when you log in, there's a search bar at the top. Let's say, for example, you were searching for Septicane, right? And in Ordo, you had linked all of your vendors and you had Henry Schein, Darby Patterson, and like Net32, right? You would search Septicane. There'd be a global search. You would see Septicane come up different variations of septicane, right? There's either one to 100,000 or one to 200. I, I don't know all the different ones, but different variations of septicane that would be separated out. And then to the right of the product or the image of the product, you'd see all your different vendors that you've linked. So you could see Henry Schein, price $42, right? Darby, price $46, Net32, $48, whatever. I don't, those aren't accurate numbers, but you know what I mean? And then that way you can right there just price compare and find which one you need and just add it to your cart. And then we automate the whole process, which is nice. That was one thing that I wanted as a differentiator compared to the other products that I saw that were available is a lot of them just acted like a middleman, right? There were people that had to place the order for you. I wanted to find a way to automate it. So the person that I brought on to help me do that, his whole family are dentists. And so he's been in dental since he was a little kid, but he actually is a software developer. I think his knowledge of just understanding dental a little bit with also being a great developer has helped us automate that whole system. So it makes it a lot easier on the user. Awesome. Where do the listeners find out about that if they want to learn more? Our website's joinordo.com. And Ordo is O-R-D-O. O-R-D-O. So yeah, join and then O-R-D-O.com. Yeah. And it's super easy to uh, just sign up onboarding it's like self-service. You can do it by yourself if you want. Link your vendors, add all your teammates you need in, and you can just start doing it within, you know, like five to 10 minutes. You can go on the website, onboard, and you're ready to go in like 10 minutes. That's awesome, man. There's so much cool stuff you can do with software. And it just, it drives me bananas that insurance verification is still such a pain in the ass and that the insurance companies can't like get like a standardization because it's more or less, it's pretty standard. I don't think we should need anyone to call. It should be automated into the system. And, and I'm, I'm hoping, man, it, I just keep saying we got to get there soon. It's got to be coming because it just makes so much sticking sense. But yeah, I think that's more on the insurance companies than it is on any lack of software on our part. But all right, all right let's move on to the segment where we share little systems that add up to big results. Dr. Applesees, what is your little system? You 
kind of went over a little bit. You used the one I was going to use, which was, uh, yeah, I know. It was the whole end of day stuff. That's the one I was going to talk about more. What about your morning huddle? You want to talk about what you do in the morning? Our morning huddle, it sets up pretty similar to, you know, end of day. In our morning huddle, we, you know, it's 15 minutes before. We bring the team up front and same thing. We go through the patients. We double check to make sure. The main thing that we like to double check, especially when it comes on recall, is are they scheduled for the appropriate x-rays that are due for them, right? A lot of times what happens is if we weren't doing end-of-day huddles, right, and catch us on the front end, we were finding that a lot of people were coming in and were like, well, are they due for right wings and two PAs or are they due for a panel this time or are they due again for an FMX? One thing in our morning huddle that we really make sure we hone in on is are they due for x-rays? That's a low-hanging fruit. That's an easy way to drive up production. So that's one thing that we focus on a lot in that. We review our weekly goal on where we're at, how we can get there, right? So it kind of motivates the team to hit that bonus. Like, hey, we have a great day scheduled. We've got some gaps in, you know, at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. All right, so if someone calls, we can get an emergency in there, right? Or we have time for same day here, right? So just looking a lot at opportunities where we can see more patients and have more production. Yeah, I think morning huddles are fantastic. I would say we do not do them at my office right now. We've gotten away from them just because of size issues. It just became, it was more of a headache than it was worth it to us. So we're kind of like more departmental. But when we were smaller, it was great to get everyone motivated for the day, looking at, hey, like we got to come up with an extra like $1,200, $1,500. Where are we going to find it? Like, and, and people, hygienists are looking in their schedule, say, hey, this person's got treatment. Let's see if they can get them to say to do this. I think they're so valuable and it's such a great way to get the team oriented on the day to say like, hey, let's go to work here instead of just like, let's just be a slave to the schedule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're starting to see some of those challenges that you are facing, Paul. I mean, as we have like multiple hygienists in, we're getting to that point where it's like we have that 15 minute mark and I'm like, eh, we're still like rushing through it, right? Like, so yeah, there's probably going to be a point soon where I agree with you. I think maybe going into different departments and your back office has one and maybe your providers have one and your front has one where they can focus in because right when you have volume of patients like you do at a big office right it's just it's hard to do a morning huddle with like 60 patients right yeah. it's just that's difficult absolutely all right let's move on to the segment where we celebrate that all of us are human and none of us is perfect dr Appleseeds, let's get real What is the biggest struggle at your practice right now, and what are you doing about it? Probably everyone's biggest struggle, which is hygiene. That's the biggest challenge that I have right now. Like right now, I've got two or three interviews set up with hygienists. I'm running Indeed ads, trying to figure all this out. I'm just struggling with a finding hygienist in general in Denver, and then it's really difficult to keep them sometimes. Any feedback I've gotten from a hygienist that's left isn't like, We don't like your office. We don't like this or that. It's, oh, someone's offering me $5 more, $10 more, a $20,000 signing bonus, right? And it's like, I want to compete with that, but I can't, right? And so I think we're just in a situation, I mean, I hope it changes soon where it's just hard to get hygiene. And I mean, myself, my associates, none of us want to be doing hygiene, right? We're either having to play the temp hygiene game, right? Which that always stresses you out, right? Or just trying to find hygienists and trying to figure out ways to keep them motivated to want to stay at the practice long-term, but it's a challenge. And I haven't like heard anyone with a really solid explanation of what the heck even happened. Like, why did this change? Like, what's, did they all, I don't know. I mean, in Denver, when I, I'll ask the temp hygienist too, I'll be like, Hey, like, 
what are your thoughts on this, right? Just from their perspective. And at least in my area, the, a common thing I hear is that when kind of COVID happened, a lot of hygienists that were either close to retirement age retired, or if they were in like dual income families were like, eh, I don't need to work full time anymore. Part time's okay. Or just like a day a week. Right. And then I just don't know if they want to come back. I don't know. I mean, I've heard too the, uh, at least in Colorado, right? We've got a dental school there, but we have two hygiene schools. I think they graduated a ratio of one to one though. So like the issue becomes if I've got a hundred dentists graduating a year and a hundred hygienists, and ideally we should have more of a ratio where there's one doctor to two hygienists. It just doesn't add up. And even in a spot like Denver, it's a desirable spot, I think, for dentists to want to come out to after graduating. So I think we even have more availability of associates, right? And then just not any hygienists. Yeah. That's, I don't know. That's my thoughts on it. You got to think with the rising wages that more people are going to go into the field and maybe they'll graduate more people. And then two, three years from now, we'll be saying, man, look at all these hygienists. It's the easiest thing to hire for. Like, remember how it was two, three years ago? That's what I hope. But, that's uh, what I hope too. Yeah, let's stay positive. Well, let's yeah. stay positive with that one because I think that's our, our only option right now is stay positive. Well, today is May 18th and it's graduating season. So you can always go sit in the parking lot at the, at the hygiene <laughs> right. school. Yeah. <laughs> Just hold up a sign. Hey, yeah. hey come here, come here, come here. Talk yeah. to you somebody. Yeah. All right. Well, if you could go back in time to the beginning of your career, what do you wish you could tell yourself? So if I could go back, I think, and I'd probably still be telling myself this to this day because I don't do it well and I probably should do better at it, is making sure, especially when we started our practices, is staying true to what my goals and values are for the practice and not feeling the need to change so easily if someone doesn't agree with it, right? Or someone's going to get mad, right? I am by nature a very big people pleaser. Like I really need to be liked, right? So for me, it's always been a huge challenge when I come up with this system and then you have a team member or someone who's like, well, I don't like that. And it's like, all right, well then do I have to bend to them and I have to bend to this person. And so I've just found that recently I've worked on just saying, this is the way we do it. This is the reason why. And I believe in what we're doing. So I need to do it and not let what other people say or their opinions on it always cause me to just give in, right? And I think that's really important if you're going to be a practice leader, whether you're an associate at an office or you're an owner as well, is just that's part of being a leader, right? Is having your beliefs, your values, you follow them, people get behind you and do it. But if you, I just found when I, you know, you bend once and then now everyone sees that and then just gets taken advantage of. So that's one thing. If I could go back in time, that's probably what I would tell myself. Yeah, and it's true. And it's like, you have to learn that because the initially, when you start being the leader of practice, at least my experience was when you get pushback on things, you start to question it and you go, oh, man, maybe I'm making the wrong decision. Oh, maybe this isn't right. Or I want to keep everybody happy. I want to make sure. And then you reach this certain level of, I think it's almost like confidence in yourself that you're like, this is what we're going to do. And I am comfortable with getting a little pushback on this, but this is where I really truly believe and this is non-negotiable. And that's what I hear you saying. We used to accommodate schedules a lot for people who had kids and, and stuff. And then and, you know, I remember we had a hygienist and instead of coming at seven, she'd come in at nine. Instead of working till one, she got to work till three. And there's a lot of other hygienists that said, hey, I want to do that too. And we're like, well, we do that too because of our kids. Just because I don't have kids, well, it's not fair that I have to get up here and be at seven. It's just like, oh my gosh. So we literally had to just make it a global policy of saying, hey, if you're going to work a shift, you, this is the shifts you work and this is how it is. We don't bend, we don't break. 
And we actually lost that hygienist over it. And not, or not in bad terms by any means. A lot of people at the practice still keep in touch with her and, and still patient at the practice and stuff. Like, But it's like, it was just one of those things that just, it wasn't a good fit. But we had to stay true to what we really believe. Yeah, exactly. Share a story where you learned a valuable business lesson from an experience or the hard way. So I kind of alluded to this one earlier. So I kind of want to go a little bit more in depth on it is not understanding the importance of having those systems in place, right? And not only not having them in place, but also not following them myself. Kind of going back to when I said, I think the biggest challenge I had in all so far in practice is when we had one office that was a year and a half old within a new associate doctor in there. I had just started up the second office. Literally two weeks after our second office opened, we had our first kid. So my wife couldn't do anything, right? She wasn't doing anything, right? She was at home watching, taking care of the baby. And it just all fell on me like all of a sudden. And I was not prepared or anything like that to take over and do it how I should have been. So in the beginning, I faltered pretty hard on stuff, right? Like stuff was just, it was just duct taping everything. I wasn't before following all the systems that we had in place. So When I came in and I wasn't following everything, the staff saw that too. And then they said, hey, well, we can be lax on this, right? We don't need to do this. Dr. A is not doing it, so we don't have to. For me, I think that lesson, it took a good three to four months to kind of stabilize things again. But it was really just looking inward and saying, look, if we're going to have these systems and we're going to do these, like it comes from the top and I got to do them. I just wasn't. I was expecting other people to do it and wasn't holding myself accountable. So Yeah, that was one lesson that I learned the hard way. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you got to set the example as a leader. Sometimes I question, like, because I'm barely at the practice, I'm like, what kind of example does that set? I'm at the point in my career where I'm just like, okay, I'm comfortable with this. Not just, I get special rules, guys, just me. Nobody else, just me. You know? (laughs) All right. So, uh, anything else you want to add about like Ordo or any other features you want to talk about before we move on to the sexy six? Yeah. One feature too that I love, it was one that actually, I was getting feedback from a buddy and he was like, this would be cool if we did this. And I was like, yes, that would be extremely awesome and something that no other software really does. And it works. We integrated Ordo with Open Dental, right? For now, which is great. No other softwares really do that, at least in our space of like ordering and inventory management, right? So not only the fact that you can link in with Open Dental, it can automatically pull your production and collection reports. So once you've set your budget, it just auto does it for you. So you don't have to think about it. The other feature that I think is like a huge game changer in how we're going to order is what we call FutureCast. And so what we do is we can scan your schedule, whether it's a week, two weeks, three weeks into the future. We can see what procedures you have, compare them historically to what you've done in the past and let you know if you're doing going to be doing more of these procedures, less of them or the same in that given time period. So a great example. So at my office, our associate had a ton in about two weeks in the future. He had a full mouth extraction case like three thirds cases, a bunch of just single tooth extractions. He had a lot of extractions that he was going to be doing. So when we looked at FutureCast, we saw extractions was one that you're going to be doing more of in the future. And he had say 40 on the books for that week. And that was 30 more than normal. Well, what that did is it allowed my assistant to say, crap, I probably need to make sure, do I have enough bone graft? Do I have enough sutures? Do I have enough membranes? All those like adjunctive things and supplies you need when you're doing an extraction, right? 
So she was able to be super proactive on ordering. And what was nice is we didn't have to scramble at the last minute and we didn't have to say, oh, it's Monday morning. Oh gosh, he has 40 extractions this week. We only have like three things of bone graft. There's no way this is going to happen. We got to rush this and do overnight shipping and all that. We were prepared and it made it a lot easier. And what's nice is, is because it also tells you what you have less of. She was able to, when working with her budget and trying to stay within her budget, she was able to say, hey, well, we're doing a lot less fillings in these couple of weeks. Well, you know, I can pass on Omnichroma for another week. We'll be okay. So it just gives people more information to be smarter about how they order. Yeah, it sounds like it makes it really easy. And I know there's a lot of practice owners that they want to have the most optimal supply budget they possibly can. But that really takes time without some software automation or software to help you. So I think it's really cool with what you guys came up with. That's joinordo.com, right? Yeah, it's joinordo. I'd like to offer everyone who's listening to this podcast a special offer for joining Ordo. We're going to give a 30-day free trial for anyone that's been listening to this podcast. Just use the promo code DPH at the end of onboarding. You'll get 30 days free. Awesome. Thanks so much for that, man. All right, let's move on to the Dental Practice Hero Sexy Six. Six sexy questions. What is your favorite quote and what does it mean to you? I'm going to give you two. I couldn't think of just one. I'm a big sports fan, so I usually go to like Michael Jordan for stuff. I grew up in Chicago in the 90s, so that was kind of my life. So one quote of his that I love is, if you do the work, you get rewarded. There's no shortcuts in life, right? For me, that one holds true because I think always growing up, I was that person that was... What comes easy to me, I'm going to do it, right? So I'm looking for shortcuts. I think as humans, we look for the path of least resistance all the time, right? And I've really learned to embrace the work and understand that if I do work hard and that will lead to rewards and to enjoy the work itself, right? So that kind of helped me kind of switch my mindset from do the easy route versus do the work and get rewarded that way. The other quote that I like too a lot, it's watch what everyone else does, do the opposite. This goes back kind of to COVID. So our offices where a lot of people, some people may have dipped or stuff like that. Our offices actually grew a lot during COVID. The reason is all the other dentists around us all stopped marketing. They closed down all the time, like even when they didn't necessarily, when it wasn't mandated, right? And weren't open. Like I said, my wife and I, we got our office phone, we put it in our house, we answered calls personally. We went in and saw the patients. We kept our marketing going. We made banners and signs that we put out in the front lawn of the office that said emergencies welcome, like staying open. And we got so many patients from other offices where they were saying, hey, we can't get you in for three months or four months. And we grew so much by just doing the opposite of what everyone else was doing. So I didn't know if I was a believer in that until that happened. And now firm believer that that works. Yeah, so true. What are you reading right now? I've been reading Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. I don't know if you've read that one. That's good. I listened to the audiobook because somebody's... Okay, I listened to the audiobook. Yeah, somebody told me, like, don't read it. They said, listen to the audiobook because it's him and he's just got such a great personality. Yeah, so I'm pretty big on audiobooks versus reading books just because on my drive I can do that. But I loved it, man. I like his concept of just... He puts himself in situations where he can just go right he can just take the green light and go and you know if you have that mentality then a lot of good can come from that right so yeah i love that book yeah it was a really cool story a lot of respect for him after reading that i recommend a single book that all dentists should read i love extreme ownership that's by jocko willink he was navy seal and i think led a lot of teams right i think in the 2000s and stuff like that in iraq and afghanistan i just love the concept that 
you need to take ownership for everything. If you're going to be the leader of your practice, even if it's not your fault, even if you didn't do it, take ownership for it, right? That's what part of that is. So I think that was a great lesson to learn from that book. Yeah, huge lesson. I recommend a seminar or continuing education. So a clinical one, I think being able to incorporate conscious sedation into your office. I mean, if you want to do more too, that's great. But at a minimum, conscious sedation would be great. I went through docs and theirs was as exciting as learning about oral sedation can be. But like it was very well organized. They took care of it for me. I really liked like how their flow worked. And then with business stuff, the business master's course that like Breakaway does, that's what I took right in the beginning. And so that course has been super helpful. And I still use some of those principles in there. Yeah, me as well. That was a great course. All right, please share an analogy that you use to communicate an idea to a patient. So the one that I like the most is when a patient comes in and I look at their patient forms and they say, I want veneers, right? And then you do an exam and they need perio, right? And so you kind of have to explain to them why that needs to get taken care of before they get their veneers, right? So pretty much like perio compared to cosmetic work. So I'll always use the analogy of a house and I'll always tell them, think of your gums and the bone that supports your gums as like the foundation of your house, right? Whereas getting veneers are like upgrading your master bath, right? Or doing something like that. That's more of a vanity or cosmetic thing. And you would never go ahead and fix your master bathroom if you have a huge crack in your foundation or some major issue, right? You got to take care of the important things first. And so I usually just try to use that analogy just to relate to them that you got to take care of the gum health because that's going to relate to your overall health. And then we can do the fun stuff, right? That you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. If you had three pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon to be graduate, what would they be? First one, I'd say after, even when you're in school, read up on how to get patient acceptance and talk to patients, right? In school, they just teach us clinical and they teach us how to talk clinically. But I think whether you read like, I don't know, a Paul Homily book or you take a CE course or you even go on a lot of these Facebook groups, right? You'll find a lot of good information on how just to relate and talk to the patient because you could be the best dentist in the world, right? But if you can't get them to say yes to something, then you're not doing any dentistry and you're not helping them. Second one would be to make sure to stay calm in stressful situations. It's going to happen. I was terrible at this in the beginning. I had a couple patients (laughs) even like call me out and ask me if everything was okay. And I was like, crap, that's terrible, right? I think just being able to fake and stay calm, even if you got a tooth that won't come out or you're running into some issue, just stay relaxed and calm. It'll be all right and don't show it. And then last... I think it would be understanding employment contracts, especially for associates, right? I think a lot of times, one of my associates, we have a great, I mean, ours is pretty straightforward how we do ours, but he has friends and colleagues who are in situations where either getting paid on collections and then they are getting screwed because they don't know how collections are being actually like calculated into their pay or the tiers are lower or they promise like, You get paid on a lower tier, but then we're going to cheer it up if you hit these numbers. And it's like, it never happens, right? It doesn't work. So I think making sure that if you're not comfortable with it, getting an attorney or getting some help from some mentors, people like that, to help you understand your contract. Yeah, that's great advice, man. Well, dude, thanks so much for sharing your story. And I hope some of the listeners will go check out Ordo. That's www.joinordo.com. And yeah, dude, thanks for sharing your story and just what you put together with the software. I can't wait to see it. So thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, I'll show it to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.